Welcome to another episode of the Creative on Purpose broadcast, conversations about finding fulfillment through more meaningful work. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Creative on Purpose, available on Amazon, or visit BeCreativeOnPurpose.com to get started with free chapters. Let's meet today's guest. Angela Beeching, welcome to the broadcast. Please introduce yourself and share a project you're currently working on or excited about. Wow, thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here since our marketing seminar time together. So yeah, I'm I'm Angela Beeching. I'm a music career coach. And I basically I help musicians get more of their best work out into the world. I find that um, many musicians feel stuck in their careers. And often the way I work with them is around helping them upgrade their messaging, their marketing and their mindset. So that's that's what I'm excited about. Um, I did write this book called Beyond Talent, Creating a Successful Career in Music. And I work um, these days one-on-one. Back in my deep, dark past, I ran the career and entrepreneurship centers at Manhattan School of Music, Indiana University, and in the conservatory. And now I love working on my own. I've gone rogue. So uh, (laughs) yeah, no, it's it's exciting. um, And Scott, you'd asked me what what I most wanted to talk about. And I was trying to think what would be an intersection with the good work that you do. And I think about this in terms of the obstacles that often get in the way of people getting their best work out there. And I find with artists, with creative artists, there's often this pull or this tension between handling the business side of your career and handling or, or diving into the artistry. And I've just been, uh, because I've been working on the third edition of the book, um, really struggling with ways to present this uh, so that it's, that it's easier to see the connection between these two sides. So that's, that's what I'm excited about. Really interesting. So you, you talked about um, getting or the thing that struck me most was when you said people getting feeling stuck in their music careers. But before you can get stuck in your <laughs> career, you actually have to get started in your music career. And that, I mean, I have my own story for how, how that began for me, but um, that can be, uh, that that's often the first obstacle is, where do you start? How do you start? And based on the, your experience with the people that you work with and the people that you're coaching and, and, and helping as they further career, their careers, what, what, what do you think are the primary challenges or what are the best practices for trying to get started in a mm. career as a musician, but you know, as, a, as a creative anybody that's involved or interested in beginning a career as a creative or art in that creative or artistic pursuit? Yeah. Well, I have to say the segment of folks that I often, most often work with have been classical and jazz musicians. And because I did this for so many years within a school context, there were people who were graduating with degrees and sometimes you know, they'd stay in school as long as possible, like I did. They get the doctorate, you know, and think, oh, I'm never going to have to deal with the real world. But the real world is a shocker for, for most people. And um, 
I think one of the biggest problems within music schools is this lack of attention to the audience, you know, to who we are actually serving. And this idea of coming at performance from a generous point of view, from a, a place of empathy, um, that's that's a hard one because it's it sort of rubs against the way people are often trained. It's, it's unfortunate, but um, it's also really a developmental process for people to start um, connecting. So you ask what, what are the best ways to get started? I, I would say to be playing for people as early as possible and to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And what is it I am looking for the audience to experience? So, uh, this comes up so often when I'm helping people with their promotional materials and we're working on their bio. And it's very typical for musicians to just think, OK, I just have to list all the fancy credentials that I have. And then, of course, they feel horrible because they're not measuring up to their idea of where they should be at this point in their life. So it's all full of judgment and comparison and as if we're creating some sort of false front, like this is what I should present to the world, as opposed to this is who I really am. So I, I love having these conversations with people that dig into some of those scary questions, but often lead to really interesting stories that help people feel more at home with how they're presenting themselves and more at home in, in performances. Really, really interesting. So I just jotted down five places where we can start to, to pull some threads okay. and unpack things. <laughs> um, the first, and this is a subject near and dear to my heart and something that it took me a while to understand. And it's something now that I am very uh, passionate about teaching to my students at my guitar studio. And that, that's the idea of collaboration and not just the idea of collaboration between musicians that might be on the bandstand, but the idea that music is a language, languages are used to communicate, collaborate and connect, and that your first obligation is to serve the song and your second obligation is to then serve the audience. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I have some 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 feelings about what happens on the bandstand too, but I think that that that's one of the things we we don't pay enough attention to that. We 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 are so busy trying to craft our mm. stage persona. We're trying to master our craft as musicians, and we forget. And you and I know this phrase from from our work together in Seth Godin's, uh, the marketing seminar, what's it for? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the best things that, that I've seen happen, especially for undergraduates is to just go and do community engagement performances. If it's nursing homes, elementary schools, whatever. And it's often, I just, it's so wonderful to see people reconnect with what music is actually about because they're they're performing basically in someone's living room it's it's a closer sense and you get that sense of the energy exchange that when it's right it's just so wonderful i always think it it gives way more to the musicians probably than the audience but it's it is an exchange yeah well and it's also those close close 
closer connections where there's not a PA and a yeah. or a stage and a microphone. I mean, to me, the microphone is always uh, that that can be such a source of hiding for musicians. Yeah. You know, if yeah, well, I'm singing into the microphone. I'm not singing to the people out there in the dark or out there in the audience, and to put yourself in those situations where you are really connecting person to person yeah. uh, can be, it's, it, it, it's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. And at the same time, the most empowering, one of the most empowering experiences you can have. And then there's this idea too, that of the idea of service, mm-hmm. that you, you are there to serve the muse, the song, whatever you want to say, but also to serve the wants, needs, and des- desires uh, of your audience. And so let's also maybe just pull back for a minute uh, because I love this, because I, 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 my career mostly was as a solo musician, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, in a lot of ways is nice because you don't have to deal with all those <laughs> things like band drama and you know making sure everybody is feeling like they're getting enough solos and enough FaceTime, stage time you know what have you um but as my career has developed and as i've actually kind of gone into semi-retirement find myself doing more and more collaborative work with with Mm -hmm. musicians and bandmates i am fascinated by how one goes about making that work well while yeah. keeping everything else, uh, you know, it, keeping tabs on what's important, the whole communication, sharing yeah. and all that. Yeah. Well, I think it stretches you in all of the scary ways. Uh, playing chamber music or any kind of small ensemble work stretches you in, in all the same ways that teaching does, because you cannot hide from yourself. So you're naked in the in your motivations and all of that is just so present. Um, I think it's a. I think for many musicians, it's it's how they grow up. You know that in the same way that marriage, you know, forces you and having kids forces you to grow up. So yeah. Well, I always, you know, most most of my music making now is done. Well, I recently have joined a band of guys, most of whom are older than I. So it's, it's interesting to be in my fifties and be the youngest guy in the band. Um, I, I tried to, to get them to agree to call ourselves the band of geezers, but nobody was buying. Um, so, uh, but, um, you know, we definitely play some blues and jazz, which is the music that I am most familiar with, but they everybody else in the band is comes much more from a rock background and so it's been a real kind of fun stretch for me to play this kind of music that of course most everybody else is you know kind of starts with um i'm approaching at this point in my career but one of the things that's interesting because we do so much improvisation and things are not um tightly arranged is this idea of improvisation, not just in the act of soloing, but in the act of arranging as you go, communicating as you go, deciding where we're gonna go as we go. Yeah. The thing that really fascinates me is this idea, and I don't think I could do this if I was younger or with younger players, but this idea that I'm here to try to do my best to express who I am 
while simultaneously yeah. doing everything I can to help my bandmates right. also be who they are to the best of their abilities right. and to make sure that, that it's all still all done in service to the song um, and for the audience's benefit. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing that I have, I have some strong feelings that I, I, I tend to not put out there too often about you. I mean, you've taught at some of the best music programs in the nation, Indiana, Manhattan School of Music. These are top flight, top notch mm-hmm. schools with an international reputation. There's so much focus and it seems as though, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that there's a lot of focus in, in, in classical music and jazz music now in the institutional or academic um, setting about your, not just the craft, but the technique Mm-hmm. and the mastery um and you know i i listen to jazz musicians talk about how much time they've spent transcribing charlie parker solos or transcribing miles davis solos which sounds like absolute hell to me <laughs> I, I i get that there's value in that but um how how do you pierce the veil in that situation between this kind of curriculum-based, technique-based, study-based to how you translate that into the art of communicating and collaborating? Well, that's a big question. Um, I, I think that it all has to do with finding your voice. So that, and then again, goes back to um, finding out or being able to um, honestly confront and articulate who you are and this is so this is this is what I mean about the weird connections between managing the business side and the artistry so I just have to say in working with people specifically on their bios which is a narrative about why you make music and how you got here and what your music is essentially about Um, For many musicians, that's the first time that they've really been asked to confront these questions. They can't believe someone is asking about this, you know, for their bios. And so it can actually be painful, I would say, or just a challenge. And the weird thing is, if you if you are, it's like going at this from a weird side channel to, to be looking at this. Okay. You want, you want a a bio, you want a website to promote your performance career. Who knew that working on the marketing of your musicianship could affect your artistry. But I have seen this happen that people become more confident and more comfortable with people in everyday settings. And does this bleed over to the performances? Yeah, because we're, we're, you know, we're one being and this false dichotomies that we make, these false dichotomies that we make between art and business or between audience and, you know, yourself, all of these things, at some point, we just need to get real and get human. Mm, so, so interesting. Yeah. Because you see, I mean, I, I'm thinking of art, art, artists who I really, truly 
look up to and um, seek to emulate like a Miles Davis or a Bob Dylan, um, you know, people who have defined a, defined a genre or who, who created a, a new direction within an established genre mm-hmm. who, who did that in part through their work, but at the same time they crafted a persona yeah, yeah. To think of both of those, and, and obviously uh-huh. I don't know either one of these people, uh-huh. but I mean, I also see that in the crafting of the persona, there oh. seem to be some problems because <laughs> are you Bob Dylan, the, right. the guy that you see on stage, or are you Robert Zimmerman, or are you the Bob Dylan that's, yeah. you know, just hanging out? Right. Um, I, I'll just say that for myself, I never, and, and I have, I, I kind of came up in the blues thing where there's lots of guys and lots of gals that craft yeah. this persona that, yeah. uh, and I just could never do that. I'm just, right. I, I don't have the energy to create, <laughs> to do, <laughs> it's so hard to be Scott Perry. I can't imagine trying to also be somebody else, you know, for four hours. Um Wow. That's interesting because that just kind of left to mind as you were you were sharing that. No, I think it's a really it's a really interesting point. And there are lots of people that would say in order to um, project the energy and the message of your music, you have to like go on overdrive when Mm -hmm. you walk on stage. You have to really um, push the energy out. My point is you got to be clear about what is that energy and who you are in this. Um, This thing about, is it a false front? Is it a persona? And um, where is it coming from? I, I think about this in terms of composers that I work with and the fragility of the creative process. A lot of times people don't want to dive too deep into that. It's a kind of mysterious process. They they want to keep that to themselves. And I'm remembering this uh, fabulous uh, Israeli composer, alum of New England Conservatory, he came back and gave a talk and he talked about your talent, your what's sort of at the core of your artistry. And he, he just used this metaphor, calling it like a gold box, that you're like it's inside you and that is inviolate you know you 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 are protecting it but it's also a source that you need to feed so this thing about where is the audience where are other influences in regards to um what i need to protect in my work and what i need to um feel secure about it's as if there's sort of a membrane between your energy and the energy of other people. And what I find is that, at least for most young musicians, they are experimenting with that. Well, I shouldn't say just young musicians. Most, most musicians their whole lives are experimenting with that. So you know how in a performance, if you are risking, if you are on the edge, if you're 
if you're really pushing this to just see what's possible, you're more alive in that moment. And mm. it is about, it's a kind of dancing on the edge. It's, it's dancing with the fear, but also if you tip too far over, right, you're, it's out of control or, you know, you're, you've gone into some other zone. Yeah. So I think of it that way. I think about the persona as a kind of dance, but, that ultimately someone has to, the music itself has to speak and connect and be generated from an honest place. Otherwise, it, you know, it's, it doesn't connect. And, and obviously the two examples that I use made great music, even as they were stepping into their... Yeah stage, you know, yeah. as you, I was also... Uh, someone else left to mind and that's David Bowie who very, very consciously crafted donors and, and over time, Madonna may be another example. People that like very, very intentionally crafted a persona and then another persona and then another, and was able to step into those in service of the art that they were creating. But when they were, when they talked about it in an interview or, or whatever, um, you know, they were, they, they were back to being David Bowie or Madonna. Yeah. They were not Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, I, and when I think about somebody like Bob Dylan, he's always Bob Dylan. Yeah. Even an in interview, he's yeah. kind of like that mumbling, uh, you know, somewhat <laughs> self-deprecating and at the same time, deeply sarcastic and a little bit, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Well, I want, I, I'm going to step away from all that for a minute because we're, <laughs> winding down in our time. And I want to, because you, you brought up another topic that I think is really at the heart of the struggle that most uh, independent musicians have, which is this idea of balancing the business side of your craft and the, the artistic side of your craft. And I know that um, it's something that most musicians that I know that are independent musicians and and kind of in charge of their own careers would love to have somebody that just took care of all that (laughs) CRAP for them. Right. One of the things that, um, one of the things that, that I think, so, I mean, obviously I never got to a point where I was, you know, a household name or anything like that. And so I just, what I just, I never, I, I mean, I would have taken whatever level of success I could was, was uh, delivered to me. But the, the point for me was always just do well enough today so that you get a chance to do this again tomorrow and then just rinse and repeat as you go. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that really helped me as somebody, especially when I went from being a touring musician to being more of um, a local musician just making a, a living in a in a kind of a sixty mile radius mm-hmm. was the the ability to do to do the the music side well enough, but to do also the business side well enough because when you're making a living as just kind of a guy that's doing a lot of club work, what venues really want is they want a guy or a gal that shows up. That's yep. that's important. <laughs> Sober would be nice. Right. Uh, you know, being on time and and uh treating the audience with respect mm-hmm. and you know, just just a lot I would just 
present that if you can take care of the business side, you, it will forgive a lot of what may or may not yeah. need work on the artistic side because what venue venues want what many audiences want is just to just to be treated to uh, a show um, that's presented on time with some. Mm-hmm degree of, of, of ability. And, um, you know, they're not expecting necessarily Bob Dylan or, mm-hmm. or David Bowie or Ella Fitzgerald to show up. Well, no, they're expecting you to show up. So the best of what you're going to bring. So, yeah, I, um, so tell me what, what's the question in there? Well, just in that this work that you're doing with trying to help these people that are, are, are kind of trying to manage both things. Yeah. I, I, what worked for me is stop thinking about it as two separate spheres. This is all just part of the gig. Yeah. Yeah. So quit whining about the the, the business (laughs) side, do your job. That's part of the job. And then when you show up at the, and, and actually this, this ties into maybe maybe this make a great kind of last point because you talked about this. Um, You, you, you talked about finding your voice and, and also being present. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of is built into this, yeah. this, I, this point that I'm trying to yeah. make that it's all part of the same thing. So, right. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. The um, it's, you know, what Stephen Pressfield calls turning pro. So that ability, I, what I think about that is, that handling the business side is one way to show respect for the artistry. Excellent. And that if you, you know, if you realize this is, this is what it takes to, to get an audience, to, to treat an audience well, um, all of that feeds on itself. And the weird thing is I could, you know, I could connect this to what we were talking earlier about the persona. I think for many people, um, having a persona is a sort of container or a channel for the artistry. And it's one of the ways that people can protect the inner stuff in order to connect with an audience. So I think people have to experiment with lots of different ways of managing this. In terms of the business side, I find that so often this is about managing time um, managing your intentions and managing finances, and what I what I see over and over is if someone's been avoiding doing that stuff, it has major ramifications for their artistic work. Right? If they're not getting enough studio time for the practicing or the composing, um, then then that is what we're talking about. How do we manage time so that you can take care of the artistry? Yeah. Take care of business, take care of business. And often the rest will take care of itself. And you had also said something to this uh, effect earlier on about the idea of worrying about what's happened, what's going to happen. Mm. I think oftentimes if we just take care of what's happening, what's going to happen will kind of take care of itself. Um, And as long as you're not, too deeply attached. I mean, if, if you're deeply attached to achieving fame and fortune, yeah, I doubt that you will ever experience any sense of tranquility or flourishing or thriving or prosperity in your career because 
even if you get it, which very few people do, it will never seem to be enough. And you see this yeah. in a lot of people right. that have achieved that. But at this, but if if you are focused on taking care of the business to the best of your ability in the here and now, taking care of doing your job as an artist in the here and now, um, and then you always have the next day. Yeah, that's the next opportunity. I think of it as um, starting, like just yeah. I, you start, you do your best. Tomorrow you wake up, you start. Yeah. So it's not uh, in that way. You you don't project too much or uh, have too much expectation about where it's going because nobody knows where it's going. Yeah. <laughs> but my my question for you on this, Scott, is how do you think about the the non attachment and then coming at this from the beginner's mind and pair that with having a a larger goal. It, even if, you know, just like it's my goal for the quarter, it's my goal for the year. What do you, how do you, how do you see balancing those two? I think it's, I think the goal is tricky because people think of, oftentimes people can confuse goals with results. Like I want, I want to hit, mm. I want a gold record. I want to play at this festival. I want to make a hundred thousand dollars this year. Yeah. Those, those are not goals. Those are results. I think of the goal. I, when I'm setting my goals, I try to make the goals much, uh, a little bit more aspirational. I mm. want to, I want to be happy in doing what I'm doing as mm-hmm. an artist. I want to, I want to be better at connecting with an audience. I want to be better at, uh, I, I want to be better at taking care of business, you know, goals that are like that. And then maybe my strategy might be to book three festivals yeah. and two right. profile club gigs, you know, in the next quarter. Um, yeah. And then I can organize my tactics to serve my goal right. and service of my goal. But the goal is always very, very high level. Yeah. And the other thing about goals like that is, you know, you're never going to. Right. That's it's So you, that enables me to just keep enjoying the process. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, me, to me, it's always been about live another day. If I can yeah. just do this and live another day to do it again. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy. Um, I I, I got that realization early on because I was interviewed for a magazine um, when I was living in Charleston, uh, South Carolina for the Spoleto Festival. And I was Mm -hmm. in the Piccolo event side of that Mm -hmm. event, which is kind of where the local stuff happens. And uh, the interviewer said, do do you ever dream of making it? And I thought, (laughs) I have been making music for a living for almost 15 years now i support a family of four we own a house yeah. we we buy groceries um <laughs> I, I play music for a living i think i've made it you know i mean anything that happens yeah. in addition to that hey yeah. bring it on but um most of the people that i knew at that time that would consider the, that called themselves musicians were living on their friends' couches and playing open mics on the street or yeah. showcases. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 all relative, and it it really has nothing to do 
with how much money you're making or how many people recognize your name. It's about, are you living a life worth living in and are you living it well in accordance with your values? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So there, I just preached. Yeah. 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 There you go. The church is (laughs) God. Well, listen, before we wrap up, I desperately want people to know where they can connect with you online, learn more about the Musician's Roadmap, learn more about your book, and just keep up with you in general with the work that you're, the great work that you're doing. Oh, thanks, Scott. So I'm at AngelaBeaching.com, and Beaching has two E's. I write a weekly blog called Monday Bites, a very bad pun, but I'm sticking with it. Um, That comes out every Monday with um, career tips and inspiration. And then I do a follow-up Facebook Live on Tuesday evenings um, at 7 p.m. over on, you know, Facebook for Angela Beaching. So yeah, I would love to have, you know, anyone who wants to um, send me questions or concerns or whatever. I'm happy to connect with people. And it's been a pleasure talking with you. Scott. Always, always. So it, just in full disclosure, Angela and I are very old friends. We have been through two <laughs> sessions yeah. of the marketing seminar together. And um, live to tell about and it. <laughs> live to tell about it. Angela was a legitimate rock star in both sessions. And she is doing fantastic work out there in the world. I strongly encourage you to, to connect with her uh, at, after we wrap up here. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you're still with us, we appreciate your time and attention. And please connect with Angela Beeching. One more time, Angela, at? AngelaBeeching.com. AngelaBeeching.com. Of course, it's always good to hear from you, too, at BeCreativeOnPurpose.com. Now, remember the words of Epictetus. Learning that does not lead to action is useless. So go take what you've learned here and go do better work for more people. It really matters, and we need you. Angela Beechman, thank you so much for your generosity and being here and for all the great work that you do. Thank you, Scott. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're still with us, we really appreciate your time and attention. Please connect with our guest wherever they live online. And it's always good to hear from you at BeCreativeOnPurpose.com. Now, remember the words of Epictetus. Learning that does not lead to action is useless. So go out there and share your best work with those that need it. It really matters.